welcome to the Portugal Podcast 2022 FIFA World Cup Part 3. Portugal got their campaign underway with a 3-2 win against Ghana in Doha. My name is Matthew Marshall and he's Tom Cundit. Tom, what's doing? I'm great, thanks. Uh, you know, I've been saying in this, our previous podcasts how I'm really looking forward to this World Cup. And wow, <laughs> what a game to start with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, we'll break the game down, I'm sure, but uh, all I really care about is that it was a fantastic spectacle and Portugal won. So, yeah, great start to the World Cup. Maybe before we actually get right into uh, the game, tell us a little bit about uh, Qatar. You've been there for a few days. Uh, you know, what's it like? What's the atmosphere like? What are the stadiums like? What What's your accommodation like? What uh, Give us a, a li little bit of a lowdown of what it's like on the ground in, in Qatar. I haven't done too much, mate. I arrived at six o'clock in the morning and um, been going to heaps of games. But my hotel is pretty sweet. I'm right on the, I guess, the edge of, of Doha, you might say. So as soon as I turn out of my hotel and turn right, heaps of cheap, normal, I guess, restaurants. I'm, I'm away from the tourist area. I went into a restaurant late last night and sat down with a guy from Nepal and a guy from India and talking football with them was great, you know, and they actually paid for my meal. It was incredible. Oh, wow. You know, they were really keen to sort of just show their hospitality and obviously they've seen and heard and read a lot of the negative publicity that this World Cup has attracted and they just want to go out of their way to be hospitable and to show that, you know, most of the people here are just down-to-earth nice people and to show a different side of it, I guess. I'm on the seventh floor. I'm looking out right now. I've got a mosque right down. I can see hundreds of shoes outside of it with all the people in there praying. And there's another mosque outside on the other side of the road. It could get pretty noisy. If you've been in the Muslim country, you know that they like to broadcast their prayers at weird times of the day. I can see in the distance the, the, the skyscrapers, you know, the main part of Doha and the city there. So I've got about a 15, 20 minute walk to get there. So. All in all, it's not bad, and getting around's pretty easy. Most of the stadiums are accessible by the metro, which comes pretty much every two minutes, mate. You, you don't have to wait more than two minutes to get on the metro. And some of the stadiums are a bit of a pain in the ass because you've got to get a bus there from the metro station. The attendances have been pretty disappointing, mate. I went to that game yesterday, which was Switzerland against Cameroon. There's no way there was 39,000 people in that stadium. So the, the FIFA numbers of the attendance is you can forget about that being accurate. And the guys I spoke to yesterday would have gone to that game, but they couldn't get a ticket because the resale situation is not really working that well, and it's probably not affordable for them either. So FIFA haven't done a good job because all these empty seats could easily be sold to locals at a cheaper rate, and they could pack the stadiums out. But instead of that happening, you've got a whole bunch of empty seats, which is really disappointing. But Apart from that, it is what it is, and I haven't seen any of Doha yet, mate, at all. I've just been working and going to games, and, you know, there's not a whole lot to see here, which is, you know, not uh, upsetting me that much. It's interesting, Matt, you, uh, you know, especially talking about the, uh, you know, the kind of um, desire to, you know, to show the positive side of Doha from some of the, the local people you've met. How about the... Uh, do you see lots of fans from all over the place over there, or just uh, you know, around you on the streets? Yeah, I've seen a lot of Argentina supporters in Mexico. I think they're the two that are bringing it. It seems like the South Americans are the ones that are bringing it more than, than everywhere else. 
But of course, you know, the cost of coming to Qatar, the cost of staying here has prohibited so many people. And yeah, the atmosphere in the stadiums is, is just, you know, nowhere near a Bundesliga game or a, even a, a game in Portugal or a, watching the Salasal in Portugal. What I noticed yesterday was that there's obviously been a lot of talk about fake supporters or people getting paid to come to stadiums and support their team or support a team. And yesterday, I, re- I kind of noticed it when they, they had the Portuguese national anthem. Because, you know, Tom, recently we had Ronaldo calling for the, the, the music to be turned off or even lowered. And, and people have been going ballistic with the Portuguese national anthem in, in the stadiums in Portugal. But yesterday, yeah, you really noticed that you couldn't hear it that much, even though there were people all around the stadium wearing Portuguese colours and waving Portuguese flags. But after talking to those guys last night, I've changed my opinion a bit. I think, you know, if you're from Nepal or Pakistan, you can never support your national team in in a major tournament. A lot of these guys are obsessed with football, or not just guys, but a lot of these people are just obsessed with football, Tom. They're really knowledgeable about mainly the Premier League, you know, for, for obvious reasons. But they love football and, you know, they know all the big players. And so for them, it's, just, it's a chance to see these guys live in the flesh. You know, there would have been so many people in the stadium last night, not just supporters, but journalists. I spoke to a, a TV presenter from Canada and it was her, her first time seeing Ronaldo. So, you know, you and I and a lot of people, you, you can't take this for granted how special it is to see someone like Ronaldo live in the flesh. And we've obviously been in a privileged position to see him many times and in a position to talk with him on the, on the odd occasion. So you have to also put all that in, into perspective that for a lot of people living here, it's, it's a great chance to see some of these superstars. Mbappe, the list goes on. They're all here. You know, all the superstars yeah. are here, uh, apart from maybe Erling Haaland. But so, yeah, I mean, I haven't done too much, mate. I haven't really spoken to many people. Yesterday, last night was a really good a discussion and my first real opportunity to, to speak to some people living here but for sure I'll get out there a lot more once the round of 16 ends and I have a few days off I'll get out there a lot more and, and, and get to see what's happening but from my brief interactions those are the sort of people I think I'm going to come across even more it's super safe Tom I mean you really feel no danger whatsoever walking around at one o'clock two o'clock in the morning and that's really common from from the Muslim countries I've been to my experience is that the, the Muslims tend to practice what they preach as far as their, what their religion tells them much more than, than Catholic countries. So that's basically my initial impressions from Qatar. We'll speak about it again okay. uh, yeah. Really next time. Yeah, really interesting, Matt, that, you know, it's great to have... It's nothing really like being there on the ground, is there? Because, uh, like you say, there's been so much negative uh, publicity around this World Cup. Uh, and yeah, you know, the, most people, I think, anywhere in the world, aren't they? Uh, most people are decent people or good people, and I'm sure it's the same there. And like you said, that's a really good point you said about them being, uh, you know, absolutely wild about football or, you know, crazy about football. And yeah, it really does, I suppose you could say that's, that's the only thing which FIFA, I think, could argue for legitimately. Uh, you know, for bringing to the World Cup to a, a venue like this is, yeah, you know, it gives people in, in the Middle East, in this in this case, you know, a really good chance to see the football up close. So, yeah, really interesting stuff, Matt. Some people call me the Space Cowboy. Okay, Tom, let's get started. 
Portugal 3, Ghana 2. They dominated the first half. Ghana didn't get anywhere near Diego Costa. And then it was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo with a pretty soft penalty. Uh, he converted it in the 65th minute. But then Ghana came back. Andre Ayew equalized in the 73rd minute. And then we had two really quick-fire goals. Raul Felix and Rafael Leal scoring in the 78th and 80th minutes. It looked like it was all over, but in typical Portuguese fashion, they didn't want to make it easy on their supporters. We saw Osman Bukhari get a goal back in the 89th minute. Nine minutes of added time, largely negotiated uh, comfortably until that last minute where Diogo Costa had a complete brain explosion. And gee, that would have been a massive talking point if Anaki Williams didn't slip over. And, uh, and if, he had have, if he had have scored that goal, we would have never stopped talking about that moment. And I'm sure Diogo Costa would have never forgotten it. I'm sure he's never going to forget it anyway. But either way, Tom... It was a really exciting final sort of 30 minutes for this game. How did you see it sitting there uh, watching on TV? What a match, yeah. Watching some of it, I must admit, those last nine minutes, especially kind of behind the sofa, <laughs> through my fingers. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, what a game. Uh, well, I say what a game uh, in terms of a kind of roller coaster ride. I'd say the first hour, first 65 minutes, before really until Ronaldo scored. I suppose, especially for neutrals, it was uh, probably a bit of a dour game. You know, not too much going on. I think, you, like you said, Portugal controlled it pretty well, especially the first half. Uh, and, you know, Ronaldo got a penalty and I thought, OK, this is just going to be kind of a, a little bit of a mundane, you know, 1-0 win. Uh, you know, quite a good start to the World Cup, that would do. And then, yeah, I mean, that just exploded into life, didn't it? Crazy. It just kind of lost all... The game lost all kind of discernible shape or Portugal completely, I think, lost control a, li a little bit of it uh, in the last 20 minutes or so. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, uh, Portugal got the win. I can't for the life of me understand, uh, you know, such a negative reaction on, on, on some of the boards and the reaction and Twitter and... You know, our comments on Portugal, <laughs> Portugal won the match. <laughs> I mean, look at Germany. Uh, Germany, I thought the first half against Japan, they were sensational. I thought they were dynamite. I was saying, look at that. You know, they could really go far. They ended up losing that game. You know what, Matt? Germany are in very real danger of being out of this World Cup. Yeah, started. I'm going to be going to their game against uh, Spain and uh, I'm, an I'm, well, I'm, I'm anticipating yeah. Spain yeah. to punish them. I actually changed my accreditation situation. I cancelled the Germany-Costa Rica game because I'm anticipating Germany will be gone and uh, I changed it. Well, they need to win, don't they? Even a draw. I was listening yesterday to uh, Ralph Honigstein, you know, so uh, down he was and uh, they were saying... Uh, you know, even a draw is, is almost certainly not enough because you'd expect Japan to be Costa Rica. So basically, they have to beat Spain to go through. So, you know, when you bring that back and you think, of, you know, think about Portugal's situation. <laughs> yeah, it could be Argentina, <laughs> mate. But um, what, are the, what, are yeah, the newspapers, exactly. what are the newspapers there in Portugal saying after that game last night? We have uh, a baller with the, the headline. I think it's probably the best headline of the free sports dailies. It just says... Breathe deeply, exclamation mark, <laughs> which I think is uh, pretty much uh, sums up you know, how most Portugal fans were thinking. The sub-headline sub says, uh, yeah, Portugal were deserved winners after a very nervy game. Uh, as for record, they, uh, their headline, they just go with legend, 
with a picture of Ronaldo doing his trademark celebration. Subheadline here, I use a few quotes. Uh, quite an interesting one, actually. I didn't, I didn't uh, notice this yesterday or this escaped me. Raphael Leal saying, coming straight out and saying, we're favourites to win the World Cup. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was said kind of tongue-in-cheek or maybe he believes it, hopefully. Uh, and as for Ujogu, uh, their headline is, uh, again, Ronaldo focused this one, love at fifth sight, of course, alluding to the fact that Ronaldo has become the first football male footballer in history to score at five different World Cups. Uh, Sub-headline here, uh, I think, which is uh, also good, it says, uh, Leon's introduction gave the team wings, uh, you know, kind of set the team free. And Portugal are now just one win away from the last 16. So, yeah, you know, all good, uh, you know, all pretty celebratory. But uh, I suppose recognising that it was not the perfect performance. Yeah, interestingly, I saw some of the comments. Yeah, as you say, if you didn't know the result of the game, you would, you would swear that Portugal lost the game. Look, I thought both of Ghana's goals were pretty fortunate. I think the first goal, that the pass for Kudus, it wasn't aimed towards Kudus. And then, of course, it went through Danilo's legs. So there's a couple of fortunate pieces of play there. And uh, even the second goal that they scored, of course, Cancelo lost that duel. And then the cross took a huge deflection, but should have been defended better in t- on two occasions. Uh, and even Portugal's first two goals really were pretty fortunate. I think the penalty was soft. So the second goal went straight through Baba's legs as well. But there was nothing fortunate about that third goal. That was brilliant with Bruno Fernandes. Of course, you mentioned, you, you brought up a good point that he had Ronaldo wide right. And initially I thought that was the best play. He would have had a, a one-on-one shot. And he had another player also going through the middle and he had Liao on the left. And uh, he made the right decision and he played a perfect pass to Liao. And all he had to do was first time it, really nice finish into the bottom corner. So, And of course it started with Joao Felix, who, who won the ball just inside Portugal's half with a nice challenge. He showed a lot of aggression. Obviously he had that, that head-to-head clash with uh, the right back. That um, So he was involved in all the goals, Tom. He played the goal in for the penalty, scored the second, and won the ball that instigated the move for the third goal. So he, he's brought that form in. We talked about him a lot. And uh, it was great to see him doing what he does best, and he's going to gain a lot of confidence. Picked up a little knock, but hopefully that's not too bad. Yeah, I think we'll just let the, the negative people just, just do what they do best and just be negative. What was interesting was the press conference is a really interesting dynamic, time because most of the time it's obviously all Portuguese journalists, but here you've got a big mix, Portuguese, Ghana, and of course your international journalists. And I didn't get a question in. It was pretty difficult with the length of time Santosh takes to answer questions. Really annoying how he just goes on and on when when it just could just be a real simple answer. But anyway, apart from that, I think the two Portuguese or two or three Portuguese journalists that ask him questions, two of them were really negative. And he just said, like, what are you talking about, basically? And that was interesting because it came after the Ghana manager, Otto Adon, acknowledged the, the general negativity of the press and how they'll go on for so long about negative things, but but not give as much time to positive things. So I thought that was a little bit of an interesting dynamic. We're not going to give, uh, I guess, the haters any more, any more time on this podcast. I addressed all that in the first podcast we did, Tom.
So what did you make of some of these play performances? Obviously we had Rafael Guerrero get the start at left back with Nuno Mendes, he's got a, a muscle issue. We saw Danilo get the start in central defence with Pep. I'm not sure what's going on there, I just guess that Santos knows that he can't play every four days. And this was obviously, on paper anyway, not the most difficult game in the group and he thought he could get away with it. Not playing Pep here. And we saw Otavio get the start, his tenacity was really useful I thought in Portugal's press which was quite good in the first half and he was getting about the pitch a lot and doing a pretty good job. He picked up a knock so he might not play the next game. What was interesting tactically was that Bernardo Silva was given the free roll. Normally we've seen him stationed on the right a lot but he was just all over the place. He was dropping deep, he was on the left, he was on the right, he was going through the middle, he was just all over the place. It didn't really work that well, it, it didn't really, wasn't that effective I guess, but I thought that was the most interesting thing tactically for me because I was a bit unsure how it was going to work. And then yeah, Bruno spent a lot of time on the right side but also drifted inside a lot, so it was interesting tactically. And some of those uh, individual performances, Tom, what, what did you see from some of those guys I mentioned and also Bernardo's positioning? Uh, a lot of people always call for Bernardo to play through the middle. Uh, rather than you know being kind of shunted onto the right wing and then cutting inside on the left and uh, yeah he was more of a central position but yeah like you say very deep and uh, really Bruno Fernandes I think has made that kind of central midfield position or central midfield attacking position his own you know he's really come into his own I think uh, in a Portugal shirt the last few uh, the last few months really and yeah, he was, I thought he was possibly the standout player yesterday. Uh, Fernandes and Joao Felix, like you said, you know, both of them really effective uh, going forward, making things happen. I thought the three Manchester City guys were a little bit off the pace, you know, Cancelo, obviously, I think he, we have to admit, he had a, a poor game. That was a very uh, slack piece of defending for the, the second Ghana goal. And uh, I think I thought actually uh, Rafael Guerreiro. I thought he was decent. Uh, I was quite surprised to see him also in line with for some criticism. I thought he was certainly of the two wing backs. He was the one who was contributing most to the attack. Uh, it's interesting though because Ghana kind of really packed their defence, didn't they? And it's really it's difficult. You know, they're a, they're a decent side. They were very physical. Uh, I think they were well organised, and so you don't really see it in this World Cup, do you, uh, Matt? You know teams getting smashed by other teams you know I suppose you could only perhaps the France and the you know the France the Spain and the England games apart but they were uh, all of those games they had early goals and that really makes a difference because it forces the opposition to come out and uh, and I think they were also against you know weaker opposition but uh, yeah I think Portugal they you know, they had a really good level of control in the first half. I thought one thing which impressed me, I have to say, Matt, was the, the amount of work they did out of possession. You know, Portugal really dominated the ball. I think, I can't remember the final stats on the first half, but I think after about half an hour, they had something like 70% of the ball. And I think that was mainly because whenever they lost it, you know, like you said, they were pressing very effectively. And of course, the Ronaldo chance, that early Ronaldo chance, that came from a turnover. Uh, I'm not sure, I think it was Fernandes, wasn't it? Bruno, who played in uh, Ronaldo and, you know, almost almost got the breakthrough. So, uh, so yeah, overall, I'd say, you know, it was a tough opponent. People forget mm. that. I, I think some of these commenters who kind of 
the way they speak, they kind of expect Portugal to win every game 5 0. Two of their yeah, yeah. two of their back three play in the Premier League. Pate is a really solid midfielder. Kudus is 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 a yeah, really strong well. player. And of course, In- Inaki yeah, Williams is a dangerous striker. He didn't do that much, but and Andre Ayew, he's a very experienced player, scored a lot of international goals. So the, the whole team isn't top quality, but they've got enough top quality players in there in key positions to make them a dangerous side, and they showed that. They're just no mug. Opening your World Cup with a win is... <laughs> I got in the lift, Tom, uh, from the, 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 the stand down to the press conference area. Roy Keane and uh, Graham Souness were in the lift. I just said hello really quickly and soon as asked where I was from and I told him and he said uh, you know oh, Portugal got pretty lucky yeah I wish I had it wish I had a few more minutes to just to discuss it with him but it is what it is mate but I think yeah getting that win is is, is awesome and now if you can beat Uruguay then that could be enough that could be enough to take top spot so let's just talk about some of these uh, changes we might see of course we talked about Danilo and the likelihood of Pep coming in there Mendes coming in for Guerreiro it's Rock Cancelo. I mean, uh, he was basically at fault for that that goal that Spain scored in that final Nations League game when that cross came across. And uh, we saw him here just get, basically just get pushed off the ball. It was really, really poor defending. So again, it wouldn't be a huge surprise to see Delo come in there at right backs. But we've mentioned how many options he has in central midfield. Vitinha would be a like-for-like replacement for Otavio. We could see Palninha come in for Rumenevsh. Of course, another thing we didn't mention was that he went with only one holding midfielder here, which was interesting, a little bit of a shift. He's gone, Santos has gone more with that 4-2-3-1 in a lot of the Nations League games. Maybe that was something just to do with the nature of the opposition. Maybe he'll, he'll revert to two holding midfielders against Uruguay. We don't know. But yeah, I don't think we're going to see any change in Bernardo, Bruno, Ronaldo and Felix. Those guys are all locked in, so there's not a whole lot of room to manoeuvre for Santos. I guess... Rafael Leal was a guy we should talk about, Tom. I mentioned he was going to be a player best suited to coming off the bench because he's the really only one there with a whole lot of speed. He took his guy really well. What did you make of uh, some of the comments you saw about him and what do you think Santos might do with him moving forward in the World Cup? Yeah, we talked about this, didn't we, Matt? I remember when we were just chatting among ourselves and you were, and I was saying I thought Leal you know, could and probably should be a starter and you were pointing out that he's kind of the perfect player to to come off the bench and really that that proved to be the case yesterday you know he was really electric when he when he came off the bench that could be his role and it was also interesting yesterday when he was speaking uh, he was asked about this you know do you think you'll be a starter do you think you should be a starter and he just said you know I'm perfectly happy to obviously I'd like to start and I'd like to play but I'm perfectly happy uh, coming off the bench you know whatever the coach asked me to do I'll do it and, uh, you know, so that's good to hear, good attitude there. And I think that probably will be his role, you know, coming on against tiring defences. The only thing I would say is I'd like to see him come on earlier. I think he came on uh, about 15 minutes to go, didn't he, in this game? Uh, you know, a player of that calibre, I think you have to give them more time on, on the pitch. So, yeah, I think that probably will be his role in this World Cup, you know, unless, uh, you know, injuries catch up with, with anybody. You, know, you can't really see Joao Felix getting dropped. So I think he'll be coming off the bench. Uh, if it was up to me, I'd always bring him on around the 60 minute mark. Although, of course, it, it will obviously depend on the, on, on the state of the game. Uh, interesting also there, Matt, you talking about the, you know, double pivot and whether uh, the, the fact that 
uh, in the game against Nigeria and yesterday uh, Santos went for just one holding midfielder I, I wouldn't be surprised if he reverts to two against Uruguay just because they are you know a high level of opposition they've got great players really haven't they all throughout that team and also really very physical team uh, I think it could be Polinia's time Matt I wouldn't be surprised if Polinia again looked quite good when he came on uh, if Polinia starts perhaps with William uh, Neves I thought struggled a little bit yesterday to really impose his game played one or two with those kind of trademark you know raking passes of his but uh, William uh, like he always does I really that's another thing which mystifies me about uh, kind of the general perception or maybe that's a bit unfair the general perception but the perception of a lot of loud commenta commenters is uh, how much they seem to kind of, uh, you know, criticise William. I think he always does well in a Portugal shirt. You know, even yesterday he came on, he's kind of calm, passing. I think he was involved in, in the start of the move for, the, uh, for one of the goals, the third goal, I think, if I remember correctly. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them two perhaps get the, get the start against Uruguay, you know, Palinha and William. A good, solid base. I think there, there will be changes. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, Fernandes went back to the 4-2-3-1. Yeah, me too. Uh, Uruguay have a really strong central midfield, and uh, you need to you need to dominate that area of the pitch. Otherwise, <clears throat> they're going to overrun you. So, yeah, not too much more to discuss here. I think yeah, William's still ahead of Palinha in the eyes of Fernando Santos. But yeah, I wouldn't be against that. I'd like to see Palinha get a bit more game time. It's all happening, Tom. Wins a win. Conceding two goals wasn't great, but scoring three certainly was. Ronaldo, a lot of confidence he's going to gain from that penalty. Scoring the first male player to score in five World Cups. What an achievement. Just when you think he's broken every record that there is, he breaks another one. And uh, Joao Felix, just sensational. You know, he's going to be full of confidence as well. So that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted some of these guys to score, get the confidence. Bruno Fernandes is really showing a lot of consistency for the sell and sell. So it's all happening, Tom. I'm looking forward to the next game. We'll speak again after, hopefully, the sell and sell beat Uruguay. Forza!
Keep on.